Well, I am so thankful to be able to speak with you all today. Um, but I spoke with Pastor Gene last night. He said that he had no worries. He knew that you all were going to be destiny and you all were going to worship and you all were going to bask in the presence of God. And I can tell you that I am thankful for a church who loves God, who loves God's presence. It edifies me so much to be able to look out and see people really, really going after God. I think that is so awesome. I want to ask you to continue praying for Pastor Gene and his family. They'll be coming back, I believe, uh, the first part of this week. And also the missionaries in Brazil, uh, they'll be coming back. They'll be back tomorrow. So they're starting to wrap up their trip. And I want to thank you, uh, personally thank you, uh, on behalf of them for joining together and praying with them. And I just believe that the, the miracles and the breakthroughs that they are seeing over there on the ground in Brazil, you're going to see them here in your own lives because we are, we're joined. We are one body. We are one spirit. And if God is doing it there, then God really wants to do it here in our midst. So thank you all so much. Thank you all so much for praying for them. Now, if you all would uh, excuse me for just a moment, um, I need to make sure that I'm looking all right before I give you the word. Sorry. Okay, don't be nervous. Breathe. <sighs> Take another deep breath. That's good. Now I know they're all looking at you right now and they're waiting on you to give a message. Um, but two things. You're not as funny as PG, so don't tell jokes. Number two, PG's hair is way cooler. So don't draw attention to your bald head, okay? If you do those two things, I think we might escape this unscathed. Yeah, uh, I give you about a 1.5% chance. All right, nice chat. Go get him. My thoughts aren't my thoughts aren't being too kind to me this morning, huh? <laughs> I always thought bald heads were in. Anyway, all right, um, so we're surrounded by mirrors, right? They're all around us. We have mirrors in our bathrooms. We have mirrors in our hallways. We have mirrors in our bedrooms. We have um, mirrors in our cars. We have, uh, ladies, you have mirrors in your purses. Men, I hope you don't have mirrors in your wallets, okay? Hey, if you do, I'm not judging just saying. But we're surrounded by mirrors. And I mean, sometimes we're late getting to where we need to be because we're so busy looking <laughs> in the mirror to make sure that everything is straight. You know, our makeup is on, right? Our guys to make sure our mustache and our goatee, you know, look, look good. We're all put together because we want to look good. We look good when we go out in public. But then there are also some of us who um, don't like looking in mirrors, right? Because we look in the mirror and we don't really like what we see. And looking in the mirror only emphasizes those things that we think that we need to work on. And so this morning we are talking about broken mirrors. Now, essentially, this is a message about identity. Because that's, that's one of the big things uh, over the course of my life. That is one of the, the major themes that I've seen God continue to develop and continue to unfurl. Uh, but God 
has brought it to me in kind of a different way. So I want to share that. I want to share that with you. And what came to me first was a passage in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking away, immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Let's have a quick word of prayer. God, we thank you for this time of just fellowship in your word. And, and God, I pray uh, that you would speak through me what we all need to hear. Because God, I need your word as much as anyone. And so God, I just commend this time to you, God. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts are open, that our ears are open, and that we are alert. In Jesus' name, amen. So anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do it is like someone who looks in the mirror and as soon as they leave that mirror, they forget what they look like, basically a forgotten reflection. Now, all the world is full of mirrors. Every place in the world, we can. there's no place that we cannot look in the world that we will not see some type of reflection of ourselves. For instance, uh, we look for our reflection in our jobs. And we base that, you know, today I had a good day. Had a great day. I didn't yell at any kids. I didn't throw anything at anybody. You know, I was nice to my coworkers, even that one that really gets on my nerves. Had a great day. So I have a great reflection. Tuesday, oh, I threw everything but the kitchen sink at the students because they just wouldn't do what I wanted them to do. And then that coworker, she just, she got on my nerves and so I kind of snapped. So, yeah, I know my reflection today. I don't want to look because I know it's probably going to be, eh, it's going to be pretty ugly. Or we uh, look for our reflection in our spouse or our significant other, our boyfriend, our girlfriend. And, and we judge how we look based on how, how pleased they are with us, how much joy they're bringing us. You know, oh, yeah, I cooked my wife dinner. She's pleased with me. I'm looking good. But I didn't wash the dishes. Ah, not so good anymore. Or we look for our reflection in our children. And we put our dreams on them and we tend to celebrate like our child can win a third grade Super Bowl and we celebrate like we've just become the first round draft pick for the Dallas Cowboys. We get so excited putting our dreams into our kids, getting a reflection off of what they're doing in life. Or we look for our reflection in our titles, manager, supervisor, pastor, and we think that what people call us gives an accurate description of who we actually are. But the truth of the matter is, the Word of God is the only true mirror. It's the only true mirror. And looking anywhere else aside from the Word of God to define us is like looking into a broken mirror. Raise your hand if you've ever seen a broken mirror before. Raise your hand if you have broken a mirror. Seven years, is it seven years of bad luck? Is that what they say? Uh, I remember when my, uh, when I was living at home, I was about 12, 13, I think, and in, in our den, in our living area, my mom has a huge mirror that is, you know, it's screwed in the wall. 
And so I remember this one time, my dad had just brought some new chairs. Um, they were the type that they spin and they roll. So guess what I did in that chair? I spun and I rolled right into the mirror. I'm spinning and rolling, then I turn around like, oh. <laughs> and my mom came in, and my mom was so she was so pleased with me. One of many times that my mom was pleased with me. But when you look into a broken mirror, the, 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 the image looking back at you is, is changed. It, it's exaggerated or it's diminished. There's something about it. Like you can see parts of the original. Okay? But where the cracks in the mirror are, there is distortion that takes place. And so what you're looking at may look similar to the original. But it's not the same thing. And that's the same thing that happens when we look to other people. High schoolers, junior hires, when you look to your friends to be your reflection, that reflection is going to change all the time. The only place that we can find our true reflection is in the Word of God. And basically what happens is when we're going through life and we're going through, we're looking at all of these mirrors because all the world is a mirror. And so we're looking at all these mirrors. It's basically like we're walking through a funhouse. You know, funhouses where they have all the mirrors that are designed to give you different views of yourselves. Like the, my favorite mirror in the funhouse is the one that makes me tall and skinny. But then you can go to the next mirror and then you become short and stout. Or you can go to the next mirror and it makes one side of your head bigger than the other. Or the next mirror will make the, the, the upper portion of your body stand out and make uh, your, your lower portions look like stick legs or peg legs, but when we look through the world and we're trying to find our identity and establish a reflection through everything but the Word of God, what we find is every mirror is going to paint a different picture of who you are. And what happens when we look to the world for mirrors, what happens when we use the wrong type of mirror is that number one, it, it, it affects how we think about ourselves. Because when my thoughts are not grounded in the Word of God, a lot of times if you're like me, your thoughts will begin to trend negatively. Like, man, yeah, I, I think I should have worked out today. I'm not, you know, I'm not looking so hot. But then, it doesn't stop there. Because it affects how we think, but it also affects how we feel about ourselves. Because when our thoughts are not grounded in the Word of God, how we feel, our emotions, will lead us. And our emotions are so subjective. Like they, de they depend on our perspectives and our perceptions and what has happened to us in the past in our lives. And in our emotions, they begin to lead us. And we begin to mistake things for things that they're not. Like, for instance, if I went up to my brother Travis Gold back there and I said, hey, Travis, how you doing, man? God bless you. I'm blessed and highly favored of God. Hallelujah. How about you, brother? He says, hey. Now, immediately, in my emotions, I'm like, what'd I do to him? I was happy. He was like, Bleh. But that's my perspective. Maybe Travis said it in the same spirit that he always says it, but the way that I received it 
based on my past, my perspective, my perception, is that it's something different. And so if I use that as a mirror to reflect me, I'm not going to be right. But it affects how we think, how we feel, but also how we speak about ourselves. Because number one, my thoughts aren't right. Number two, my feelings are leading me all over the place. I'm all over the place. I don't know about y'all, but sometimes my emotions are just all just over the place. Just crazy. But it affects how we speak about ourselves. And so now, when I look at my reflection, I'm thinking badly. I'm feeling badly. And so now when it comes time for me to speak to myself, every word that I have to say to myself is critical. Like that example at the beginning of the sermon. You're not Pastor Gene. You're not funny. You have a bald head. It's a snowball effect. When our thoughts aren't right, our feelings take the lead, and then we start speaking all manner of negativity on ourselves. Let's face it. Sometimes speaking to yourself is the only way that you're going to get encouragement. And if you can't speak right to yourself the word of truth, you're kind of messed up. Kind of messed up. So relying on broken mirrors to give an accurate reflection will lead us into behaviors that don't line up with who we really are. We see so many people uh, who have addictions to all manner of things because at some point they believed the reflection that they saw in the mirror through the eyes of someone else. And that someone else said, you're not worth it. That someone, that someone else said, no, you're never going to be worth it. You're never going to be loved. So the only thing that can help you is to try this pill or to take this needle, or to watch this video. The only thing that could help you feel any love in your life is to get involved with this. And then what we see happening is that they, they, they get addicted to it, and their reflection is looking at them, and they hate it. They can't stand who they see looking in the mirror. But by then, they're caught up in, in, in a cycle. I ran across a quote on Facebook a few weeks ago, and um, I thought it was really, really cool because it, it talks about how we always are on a quest to do more, thinking that it helps us look better. For example, okay, uh, Pastor Gene, oh, your car needs to wash it? Okay, I'll wash your car on Monday. Tuesday, praise team rehearsal, I will be there. Uh, it starts at what time? 6.45? I'll be there at 4.30. Okay. Wednesday night Bible study. Yes, I will be there and I'll clean the church after. Okay. Thank you very much. Thursday. What's happening Thursday? Oh, cook a meal. Yes, I will gladly cook a meal. Friday. Friday. What's going on? Oh, I'll make something up. We'll have, uh, we'll have a life group at my house on Friday. Busy, 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 busy. Doing, 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 doing. And as we're doing all of this stuff, we're thinking that what we're doing is making us look better. It's kind of like the evil queen in the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Every day, this queen would look into her mirror and she'd say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Mirror, would, mirror man would come in and he'd say, hey queen, you are it, girl. You're the fairest. There is no one more beautiful in the entire kingdom than you. Yeah, work it, girl. 
And so every day she would get this affirmation from this mirror. Every day her reflection was just what she thought that it should be. And so one day she picks up her mirror and she's like, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? The mirror comes back. Uh, queen? Well, you know how I had been telling you that you were the fairest of them all? Yeah, there was an expiration date on that. There is this chica by the name of Snow White, and she is bad. Sorry, uh, but you don't hold a candle to her, and I'm going on vacation because I know you're mad. So the queen is upset. I'd be upset too. But the queen is upset, and she goes out to do everything that she can to eradicate this threat of Snow White, even to the point of trying to take her life. And this is what we do. She thought that she could do, 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 do. And at the end of all of her doing, she thought that she would feel better and that she would look better about herself. And that's what we do. I mean, we go to the gym seven days a week. We work out 23 out of 24 hours of the day. We drink so much water that we spend, you know, 7.99 hours of the day in the bathroom getting rid of the water that we just drank. We think that we can, if we can build muscle mass or if we can, you know, build lean muscle or lose weight, then when I look in the mirror, I'm going to look, yes, that's what I want. I have the body that I want. I'm perfect. And so then we go and we look in the mirror. But that reflection is still broken. That mirror is still broken because as soon as you see yourself in the mirror, you don't see the changes that you've made. You see the errors that you've made. Oh, I shouldn't have had that peanut for lunch. Starting to show. I need to drink more water. I'm not going to the bathroom enough. I've only been 13 times today. My quota is 40. we fall into this trap of thinking that we can do and do and do and do and do and do, but doing does nothing. Doing does nothing. I think about the story uh, in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, where God has told Samuel, the next king of Israel is coming out of the house of Jesse. So Samuel goes down to the house of Jesse and he's looking at Jesse's boys. Like, yeah, Jesse has some handsome boys. These dudes are going to make some nice kings. Yeah. And so he's going down the line. Joe, God says, no. Jeremiah, God says, no. Kaya, God says, no. JD, God says, no. And so here we have Samuel, this man of God. Okay, this prophet of God. Let's take that a little bit, a little bit further. A prophet of God. He hears from God, but he's looking at these boys from the outward, and God has to stop him. And God has to say, "Check it out. I don't see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart." Let's stop Samuel in his tracks. I'm not looking right. See, in that same fashion, there is nothing that we can do to improve our reflection. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. So if you're one of those persons who are all about do, 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 doing, I've got news for you. Jesus has already done 
everything that you could ever hope to do to improve how we see ourselves. What he did not only saved our lives, saved our souls and enabled us to live forever with him, but when he died, he solidified who we are in Christ. So if we can't do, then what can we do? <laughs> we have to be. We're called human beings, not humans doing. And when I say we have to be, we can't do. We have to be. We have to know what the word says about us. We have to believe it in our hearts. And then we have to wear it like clothes. We have to be it. Literally. We have to be it. We can't, we can't look at what anybody else is doing and let that reflect us. We can only reflect what God says about us. Now, this message is not just for you. It's for me. Because I'll be honest, I have dealt with identity issues all my life. And it really, it came in the form of making comparisons between myself and others. It especially got bad uh, when God called me into the ministry. Um, because there's so many people to, to watch. There's so many people to watch, to watch them do. And I remember uh, I was a big TBN guy, right? My guy was T.D. Jakes. Get ready, get ready. Loved him. Not so much what he said, but the brother could dress. For real. I, for real. I could sit there and critique what he had on better than I could tell you what he preached about. I mean, he could wear a neon pink suit with a hot green bow tie and just make it work. And so I decided right then that I wanted to be known as the Rainbow Reverend. I wanted to have a suit in every color of the rainbow. Um, for example, at my senior recital, you know, at, at recitals, the performers usually wear like tuxedos. They look really, really nice and refined and, you know, ducktails and all that stuff. And, um, but no, not me. <laughs> not me. I wore a burnt orange black pinstripe suit. It was a three piece. It's tight. It was tight. Had my brown ankle boots going. You couldn't tell me nothing. Nothing at all. But my issue was comparing. And so I would see this pastor doing this thing, so I'd try to incorporate it and make it a part of myself. I'd see this pastor doing this and try to make it a part of myself. And, and I began incorporating so much of what everybody else was doing that I completely lost myself. Because I wanted to be like this person and this person and this person because I was convinced that there was something wrong with me, that God didn't make me like that person. So I need to do everything that I could do to be like the people that I see doing all of this amazing stuff for God. But God stopped me. And I remember... If we would be more concerned with being rather than doing, if we would be more concerned with being who God has called us to be, believing who God has called us to be, believing that God has put something inside of you that this world needs, this dying world needs what's inside of you. If we would be more concerned with being than doing, we would find out that the doing becomes easier once we've committed to being. I cannot be and then do. Because then I'm going to be all over the place trying to be like everybody else who's doing something that I want to do. 
God said it. I have to be it. I have to believe it. I have to digest it. It has to be sealed inside of me. Then when I go off and do what God wants me to do, what I find is that it's easier. It comes more natural. I have more joy about it. I have more peace about it. A few weeks ago, on Mother's Day, we had our speakers. They were so amazing. And I was sitting, I was standing in the back over there. And I already had my rock, but I was watching everybody come up, get their stone, and they were writing on it. And on my stone, a couple of the things that I had written were identity and defining me, because that has been a constant theme over the course of my life. God is revealing more and more of my identity. God is defining me, and he is making me surer and surer every day of who I am in him. And and God began to speak to me as they were they were singing uh, you're not alone. I remember. And people were up here signing their rocks and I was watching and God spoke to me about my, my own perceived deficiencies and my, um, the jealousies that I might still have and the comparisons that I might still make to people. And, and God said this. It's on the screen right now. You'll never do all that I have dreamed for you to do until you accept all that I created you to be. You'll never do all that I have dreamed for you to do until you accept all that I created you to be. And see, I know some of you here, you're like, God hasn't dreamed anything for me. I'm really just here kind of existing. Um, but I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing that God wants me to do. But I would point to the fact that you are sitting right here on this Sunday in the last Sunday in May, as proof positive that there is something inside of you that God wants to pull out to change the world. It's not enough to sit back. We have our dreams. We have our things that we want to do. We have our things that we want to see accomplished. I want to own a house. I want to start a business. I want to get rich. But guess what? God has dreams for you too. Just like your parents had dreams for us, God is the ultimate father. And if you have dreams for your kid, imagine how much bigger God's dreams are for your life. It's not God's will that we spend so much time turning around in circles, looking in every mirror that comes our way. When God has given us a mirror that is constant. Because like I said before, the mirrors of the world are always shifting and changing based on trends. One year, bell bottoms are out. The next year, bell bottoms are in. The next year, skinny jeans are in. The next year, skinny jeans are not in. But God's word is constant. When we come to God, we're not going into a fun house. We are going into the house of our Father who only wants good things for us. But God said, you'll never do all that I have dreamed for you until you accept all that I created you to be. That hit me. That hit me really hard. Because what I began to understand is that when I look in the mirror and I reject myself, I'm rejecting God's purpose, his plan, his promises, and his power for my life. I am essentially saying that I am willingly going to separate myself into millions of pieces because I don't think that God can do anything with me. I choose to be broken when I choose to not see myself the way 
God sees me. So it hit me. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 through 18. It says, I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant, not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. If foot says, I'm not elegant like hand, embellished with rings, I guess I don't belong to the body. Would that make it so? If ear said, I'm not beautiful like eye, expressive, I don't deserve a place on the head, would you want to remove it from the body? As it is, we see that God has carefully placed each part of the body right where he wanted it. You're where God wants you. So if you're the foot, I don't know which part of the foot you're on. Maybe you're the little toe. Maybe. You cannot go through life wishing that you were the fist or the hand. If you are the, the tricep, you can't go through life wishing you were the bicep. If you're the kneecap, you can't go through life wishing you were the elbow. Because God specifically put you where your gifts and talents and abilities would be magnified in the body of Christ. I can't go through life wishing that I could jump and bunny hop around stage and get people super hyped and exhort like TJ. Because see, what I learned, what I learned is that there is a difference between admiration and jealousy. The difference between admiration and jealousy is simply this. When I admire somebody, I am, I am noticing what God is doing in their lives. But when I'm jealous of somebody, I'm looking at what they are doing and I want it. It's not the fact that God is doing anything. I take God completely out of it. It's just between me and this person and I want what you have. I want it. There's a fine line between admiration and jealousy. But see, what God wants us to see is that if I see Jerry Pertle doing amazing things for God. I admire him for being so surrendered to God. I don't compare myself to him. I don't compare what I'm doing to him, but I give praise to God who is moving through Jerry to do the things that he's doing. And then I say, God, I don't want to be like Jerry, but God, I want what Jerry has. I want that spirit. I want that power. I want that power to do amazing things for you to change my world, to change my life, to change my generations. Because what happens is when I notice what God is doing through Jerry and how Jerry is affecting the world, and I pray, God, I want you to do that same kind of work in me. I'm tired of the status quo. I'm tired of being broken. I want to take what you've placed in me and I want to change the world. When I do that, God shoots me up. And now when Jerry and I join together, it's fireworks. That's the beauty. It's the beauty, the beauty of team ministry. Our staff, each of us has different gifts, different abilities. But when we get together, what God does is amazing. Each of you has different gifts, 
different abilities. But when we come together under this one place and we, we designate this time to give our God praise, amazing things happen because now the body of Christ is comfortable where they are. I'm a foot. Yeah. Well, I'm going to stomp on the devil every chance that I get. Oh, I'm a hand. Yeah. So we're going to punch Satan in his face every time he tries to come against us. We cannot be the body of Christ. If Christ is our head and he's saying, I want you to go left, you're saying, no, I think we want to go right instead. Or if we say, God, I want to, if, if Jesus says, I want you to run, we're going to run in the battle. And you say, no, I think we'll just do a leisurely shuffle because I'm not really in a rush right now, God. If we are truly, truly the body of Christ, we have to be in sync with our head. We have to be confident that what God has placed inside of us, where God has placed us, if you are the pinky toe, it's because God has given you a gift to balance the rest of the body out. You cannot underestimate the power in who you have been created to be. You can't be jealous when you see somebody else doing something. Because you don't know what they've had to sacrifice in their lives to God. And if you're ready for God to do through you what God is doing through them, step up to the plate and ask God to use you. We all have a responsibility to make sure that we're holding down our part of the body. We can't let it slip up. The world going the way that, the way that it's going now, with the walls seemingly beginning to close in around Christianity, the world needs to see a body of Christ that is unified, but a body of Christ that also knows how powerful it is and that the gates of hell shall not prevail. You've got to have that attitude. Be who you are. Ephesians 1, that is my chapter. We all have, you know, like go-to chapters that we go to, you know, when we're feeling some kind of way. When I'm feeling some kind of way, I can go to Ephesians 1, instantly feel better. I can read the chapter, close the Bible up, stand up if my shoulders were hunched before, stand up like, all right, let's go. But here recently, God hit me and he said, I want you to read Ephesians 1, but I want you to take it one verse at a time. Now, that took me some time to get through it, but what I did when I read, I'd read that verse and then I would read it again and read it again. Then I'd turn it over in my head. I'd break it apart, put it back together, and then I'd journal about it. What God, what I felt God was, was, was sharing with me. And I want to share with you a little bit about what God showed me through Ephesians 1. Okay. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I have a mind-blowing revelation for you right now. Are you ready? You are blessed. You are blessed. You see, if we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that verse just said that we've been blessed in heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. So that means if I'm blessed on, in heaven, 
with every spiritual blessing. I'm blessed here on earth with every spiritual blessing. It has nothing to do with how I wake up feeling in the morning. It has nothing to do with who told me I wasn't going to do something. It has nothing to do with what reality is because my reality is the word of God. And if God says you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, that means I'm blessed here on earth with it. I can walk through my day no matter how stressful it is because I am blessed. 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 It's the truth of the matter. There's no other way around it. God said it. I believe it. That does it. I can't do blessed, but I can be blessed. I can put that on like a coat and I can wear it all seasons, every day of my life. Verse 4 says, For he chose us before the creation of the world to walk holy and blameless in his sight. God chose you. God chose me. God chose us. He chose us. And see, there is so much beauty in believing that God chose you because we've all dealt with rejection and we've all dealt with humiliation and we've all dealt with pain. But God chose you. God chose you. He reached out with his loving hands and he said, you, I want you. You, I want you. You, I want you. Nothing that we come up against in this world can outweigh the fact that God chose us. And see, the next, the second part of this is that he chose us to walk. Which means he didn't choose us to crawl or to drag ourselves. But because God has chosen you, you can now stand up and you can walk holy and blameless before him. There is power and strength in God choosing you. When he touches you, he doesn't leave you the same way that he found you, but he puts something in you that helps you get up from where you are. Helps you straighten your back up and lift up your head. Lift up your hands and give him glory and give him praise because God chose you. Verse 5 is probably my favorite. Because it says, in love he predestined us for adoption. Through Jesus Christ. In accordance with his pleasure and his will. He adopted us. Now, I, I know that all of us did not have the, the family, the earthly family environments that we wanted to. It's messed up that the situations are like that sometimes, but it is what it is. But from the moment that you accept Christ into your life, God becomes your father. And he says that I will never leave you nor forsake you. That means you will never, you will never be an orphan. No matter how many times you try to run away from him, he's there waiting on you to come back to him. Now, also, this adoption did not come with a return policy. There was no trial period to where he could take you back in 90 days. Because he would have, he would have taken me back in like 15. But because he predestined us, that means he knew before the creation of the world that he was going to want you. And if he knew that he wanted you back then, that he wants you just as much now and he will want you just as much in the future. 
He wanted you so much that he placed your needs above his only begotten son because he knew. He knew that he was sending his son down to a people who would ridicule him, who would not believe in him, who would curse him, who would mock him, who would ultimately beat him within, a, within an ounce of his life, then nail him to a cross. Because he wanted you. And you may say, why? Why would God want me? I'm nobody. The second part of that verse says, because of his, it was his pleasure and it was his will. It brings God pleasure to want you. It brings God pleasure to want you. It brings God pleasure to welcome you with open arms and call you his child and call you his son and call you his daughter. It brings God pleasure. He's always wanted you. He's never going to stop wanted you. He's always fought for you. He's never going to stop fighting for you because he's a loving father and he wants you. You are chosen. You are blessed. You are adopted and nothing in this life can stand against what God wants for you when you decide that you want it to. This is a message so relevant. And I, I want to come this morning and I want to encourage you because I know there are people out there, you really believe that there is nothing for you in this life. You, you really believe that there is nothing for you to do. You're just a mass of flesh and bones and you're just here to exist. But I come this morning to tell you that you have a purpose. You're not existing. You're not weak. You're not ugly. You're not nothing. You're not destined for nothing. And if you believe these lies about yourself, then you've been looking into broken mirrors. Therefore, your reflection is broken. But this morning, I want to tell you about a man named Jesus who has come to heal your reflection, to put your life back together and help you walk in a newness that you've not known before. Going back to our original verse, it says that a man who reads the word and doesn't obey it is like a Someone who looks in the mirror and immediately forgets their reflection as soon as they leave. It's important that the only mirror that you use to measure yourself against is the mirror of the word of God. That is the truth about who you are. That is the unadulterated truth about who you are and who you are meant to be and who you will be. But I want to give you four practical, maybe a little challenging uh, ways to be all that you can be. Number one, read the word. The Bible says, whoever looks intently. Now, on our Wednesday night service, we just finished uh, the God First Life, which was, oh, so good. So good. But the, the Wednesday nights, we were talking about how it's not enough to read the word and um, just kind of passively, you know, Thus saith the Lord, blah, 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 blah. It's not enough to do that thinking that the words are going to hop off the page and bury themselves into our brain, then kind of snake down to our heart and take root, and we'll never forget it. Reading the Word of God is not a passive exercise. Reading the Word of God is not something where you put on your comfortable metaphorical clothes and you just jump in and you just roll around in it and hope you pick something up. 
Reading the word of God means you pick up your shovel and your pickaxe and you dive into the word intent on getting something out of it before you're done with it. It is an aggressive exercise. You will only retain from the word what you go in and allow God to put inside of you. That means you have to be ready, willing, and able, and you have to stay in the word. Whoever looks intently means that you're not just passively looking, but you are looking really, really hard. Because I know that God has something in this word for me, and I'm not leaving this spot until I find out what God wants me to know today that's going to change my today and change my tomorrow. So read the word. Number two, review the word. The next part of that verse says, and continues in it. Now, review literally means to view again, to see again and again. So not only am I reading the word, I don't just read it once. I read it twice. And then I review it again. Then I review it and review it and see it again and again and again until it begins to become life to me and it begins to take on a new life for me. Not only that, I read it, I review it, and I remember the word. It says, not forgetting what they have heard. That means when I read the word, I'm turning it over in my mind. I'm meditating upon it. Day and night, it's in my head. I'm breaking it down. I'm putting it back together. I'm inserting my name in there where I think God is speaking directly to me. And it becomes a part of who I am. It becomes a part of my existence. Then, once I read it and review it and remember it, then I can respond to the word. Because when God speaks to us, we have two choices. We can respond or we can run away. I'm so glad that I am... I go to a church where people are hungry and thirsting and willing to respond, to respond to the word of God. Because that verse says, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. You are actively responding to the word of God. So as we get ready to close, you don't have to be anyone other than who God has created you to be. Pastor Gene posted a quote uh, from a respected author and speaker. His name is Bob Goff. And he simply says, if you truly want to be like Jesus, you can't worry about being like anyone else. That means as much as I admire how God moves through Pastor Gene, as much as I admire how God moves through Pastor Joe's and Jen's ministry back in Illuminate and back in Pastor Jeremiah's and Cassie's ministry back in Elevate. I can't be them. I can only be who God has made me. And I have to believe that everything that God has put inside of me are things that he wants to bring out and be and who God made Justin is enough to reach this world. You may say, man, I'm, I'm, I witness weird, so I don't tell anybody about Jesus because they look at me crazy. Or I'm socially awkward, uh, so, you know, that just kind of means that I just kind of keep my mouth shut because when I start trying to open up discussions, then people look at me like I'm crazy. Fact is, your quote-unquote weird witnessing may be just a tool to get somebody to Christ. Your socially awkward nature will connect with someone 
Everybody here has it in you to bring somebody to Christ. Everybody here has it in you to speak life and blessing over someone. Everybody here has it in you to shake the world, to change the world, to change communities, to change lives, to change generations. It is in you. You just got to be it. You got to be it. You got to be it. And so as the musicians come forward this morning, God has made you unique. But it is your uniqueness that is what the body of Christ needs to be at its most effective. When you deny everything that you are, you're denying God's power in your life. And the body is crippled because the body needs each and every one of you. And so with all eyes closed, we've been talking this morning about being all that God wants us to be, being who he's spoken to us that we are, not looking in the mirrors of the world, but looking in the mirror of the word. And there may be some of you here this morning that are like, Pastor Justin, that's all well and good, but I've I've never had a relationship with Jesus before. I, I just, I've never gotten it. I'm here to tell you this morning that he loves you and he's not coming. He's not wanting you to come to him for him to convict you or to condemn you. He wants you to come to him that he can wrap his arms around you and love you. And so if you've never had a relationship with Jesus before, or if you've had one with them and you've walked away and you, you see now it's time to come back because the world is reflecting the wrong you and you're ready to get back to who you really are. With nobody looking but me, I want to invite you to just lift your hands and hold it up in the air. If that's you this morning and you're ready to come back home to Christ or to know Christ for the first time so that you can really find out how he identifies you, how he defines you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands going up all over the place. Thank you, Jesus. God loves you. Don't let this moment pass you by. If you raise your hand this morning, I'd like for you to repeat after me. And as a church body, we will support you and repeat this as well. Just say, dear Jesus, I love you. Please forgive me of my sins. I give you my whole life. I give you my whole heart. Make me a new creation. And let me walk in your love from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give them a big round of applause. Come on. Now, this is only the first step. Accepting God is not the end. Accepting Jesus as your Savior is not the end. It is the beginning of the best life that is possible to live. And so back in the Welcome Center, we have a packet that includes a Bible for you. But also it's important that you get into a Bible teaching, a Bible believing church. One that can help you along. And if you're not a member here, we'd love to have you. But if you're a member of someone else, go back and tell some of your leadership, I accepted Christ today. I'm a new creation. And they can help you. Now, everybody else, let's stand.
We sing this song that says there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. How many of you all believe that? This morning, I've come to tell you there is power in the name of Jesus to break the chains of depression and addiction. Jesus has the power to heal your broken reflections. And he doesn't just, he doesn't just want to put tape over your broken mirror. He wants to give you a new one, one that is based in the word of God. So if you want to respond to the word of God this morning, we want to invite you to come down to the front and worship with us as we do this last song. Oh, help us sing it. Come on. There is power. us to do anything and to be all in as we do it because we're not doing we are being we are being god bless you thank you all for coming this morning have a blessed week hug somebody's neck tell them you love them god bless you amen